This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Hey, book nerds. So happy you decided to come back and join me today. It's August, which means it's likely the hottest month of the year, or at least that's typically how it rolls here in the Pacific Northwest. But the way I get through this month is just thinking that right now we're only about five or six weeks away from fall, which is hands down the best season of the year. So today I'm going to share my thoughts on All That We Never Were by Alice Kellen, The Whispers by Ashley Adrain, Your Lonely Nights Are Over by Adam Sass, and The Spectacular by Fiona Davis. Also, if you are not already, come follow me on Instagram for my most up-to-date bookish news, current reads, and recommendations. I'm also on Threads, and there I share all kinds of stuff, but mostly live thoughts on whatever book I'm reading at the moment. The handle for both Instagram and threads is at justreaditalreadypod. Now, before we jump into the reviews, let's look at some of this week's new releases, or at least at the time of this recording, these are the books that were set to be released this week. First on my list is None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Lisa Jewell returns with a scintillating new psychological thriller about a woman who finds herself the subject of her own popular true crime podcast. Next is Who We Are Now by Lauren Chamberlain. Four friends, 15 years. Who We Are Now is a story of sliding doors moments, those seemingly small choices of early adulthood that determine the course of our lives. I reviewed this book on episode 16. I loved it so much. Highly recommend it. Next is Canary Girls by Jennifer Chiaverini. Chiaverini, C-H-I-A-V-E-R-I-N-I. Rosie the Riveter meets a league of their own in New York Times bestselling novelist Jennifer Chiaverini's lively and illuminating novel about the munitionettes who built bombs in Britain's arsenals during World War I, risking their lives for the war effort and discovering camaraderie and courage on the soccer pitch. I'm likely going to check that one out. Next is Masters of Death by Olivia Blake, a story about vampires, ghosts, and death itself. Then we have The Blonde Identity by Ali Carter. This is a fast-paced, hilarious road trip rom-com about a woman with amnesia who discovers she's the identical twin sister of a rogue spy and must team up with a rugged, grumpy operative to stay alive. Then we have Delicate Condition by Danielle Valentine. The Push meets The Silent Patient in a gripping thriller that follows a woman convinced a sinister figure is going to great lengths to make her pregnancy never happen while the men in her life refuse to believe a word she says. Then we have Last One by Will Dean. When Kaz steps on board the exclusive cruise liner RMS Atlantica, it's the start of a vacation of a lifetime with her new love, Pete. On their first night, they explore the ship, 
eat, dance, make friends, but when Kaz wakes the next morning, Pete is missing, and when she walks out into the corridor, all the cabin doors are open, and to her horror, she soon realizes that the ship is completely empty. I reviewed this book on episode 17. It is a crazy fun ride. You need to suspend disbelief. Super fun. Check it out. Then we have A Council of Dolls by Mona Susan Power. A modern masterpiece, A Council of Dolls, is gorgeous, quietly devastating, and ultimately hopeful, shining a light on the echoing damage wrought by Indian boarding schools and the historical massacres of indigenous people. With stunning prose, Mona Susan Power weaves a spell of love and healing that comes alive on the page. That one's on my list as well. Another on my list is Shark Heart, A Love Story by Emily Habeck. A gorgeous debut novel of marriage, motherhood, metamorphosis, and letting go. This intergenerational love story begins with newlyweds Wren and her husband Lewis, a man who, over the course of nine months, transforms into a great white shark. Then we have How to Care for a Human Girl by Ashley Warsbucker. A big-hearted and sharply funny debut novel about two estranged sisters and the crossroads they face after becoming unexpectedly pregnant at the same time. Then we have Between Us by Mari McFarlane, a witty, clever, emotional new novel about a woman whose life unravels spectacularly after her screenwriter boyfriend uses their relationship as inspiration for his new television show. Then we have Whale Fall by Daniel Krauss. Whale Fall is a scientifically accurate thriller about a scuba diver who's been swallowed by an 80-foot, 60-ton sperm whale and has only one hour to escape before his oxygen runs out. Sounds terrifying. Sounds like a good read. I love that they had a preface with, this is a scientifically accurate thriller. <laughs> Don't come for me about facts. I will probably check it out, though. Next is Medusa's Sisters by Lauren J.A. Bear, a vivid and moving reimagining of the myth of Medusa and the sisters who loved her. Then we have Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. Who is Mr. Magic? Former child stars reunite to uncover the tragedy that ended their show and discover the secret of its enigmatic host in this dark, supernatural thriller. Next is Under the Influence by Noel Crooks. The Devil Wears Prada meets the assistants in this compulsively readable debut following a young woman who takes a job working for an enigmatic influencer and quickly discovers there's a dark side to being a hashtag girlboss. Then we have Dark Corners by Megan Golden. Rachel Kral, the true crime podcaster star of Megan Golden's acclaimed Night Swim, returns to search for a popular social media influencer who disappeared after visiting a suspected serial killer. I got that in my Book of the Month box last month, so hoping to check it out soon. Next is The Dark Place by Brittany S. Lewis. Brittany S. Lewis's sophomore novel combines the quotable relatability, swoony romance, and emotional resonance of John Green with the surrealist horror imagery and razor-sharp wit of Jordan Peele, at once haunting and enchanting and entirely unforgettable. And last on my list is Unnecessary Drama by Nina Kenwood, a deliciously entertaining enemies-to-lovers romantic comedy about two high school nemesis who end up sharing a house together their first year of college. This week, I received arcs of One Night in Hartswood by Emma Denny and Pretty by Keith F. Miller Jr., courtesy of the publishers via NetGalley in exchange for an honest review. Look for those coming up about a month before each of their releases. Okay, that's all I have for that segment. How about we jump into the reviews? I'll start with a look at All That We Never Were by Alice Kellen. 
This book was first published by Planeta, I think, on February 5th, 2019. It was published in Spanish as a title I'm not even going to attempt. And then will be published in the United States by Sourcebooks Casablanca on August 29th, 2023. And I received an advanced reader's copy of this book through NetGalley, courtesy of the publisher, in exchange for an honest review. The synopsis reads, He'll do anything to bring the light back into her eyes. Leah Jones used to love her life. Now she can barely get out of bed in the morning. Still shaken by the sudden loss of her parents, her older brother is the only person she has left to keep her from falling into an emotional abyss. But as he prepares to move across the country for work, soon he'll be gone too, and Leah will have no one. Axel Wynn is her brother's best friend and the natural person to turn to. Seeing Leah so despondent is a punch to Axel's gut. At her brother's request, Axel drops everything to move Leah in with him, to meet her every need. He's determined to push her to her limits, to break down the walls she's built to protect her fragile heart. Little does he know, she has loved him forever, and now his love for her expands to so much more. As Leah and Axel's undeniable bond grow stronger, Axel must break Leah's heart in order to guarantee her the life he knows she deserves. Fans of Colleen Hoover, Anna Todd, and B. Celeste will immerse in this thrill of a heartbreaking emotional roller coaster. I have really mixed emotions about this book. The synopsis really made me think I would like it a lot. I'm a huge Coho fan, and it sounded like the plot of one of her books. On one hand, it kind of was, but on the other hand, it was kind of creepy and weird to me. I was very sympathetic toward Leah Jones, our main character. Recently, Leah and her parents were involved in an accident where both of her parents were killed. Once a fun-loving and artistic young woman who enjoyed life, Leah now suffers from PTSD and keeps mostly to herself. After the accident, Leah's older brother, Oliver, stepped up and took on the responsibility of being her caretaker. He took on a job and really blossomed in his career. So much so that his company wants to transfer him across country to Sydney for a year to work there. The problem is, 19-year-old Leah is completing her senior year. She had to do it over because of the amount of school she missed after the accident. And he just can't pick Leah up and move her across the country her last year of school. This is where Axel Wynn comes in. Axel is Oliver's best friend and owns his own home. Axel agrees to let Leah stay with him for three weeks out of every month because Oliver comes home for a week once per month. Leah has always been like a sister to Axel, and though it means he'll need to chill out on his party boy ways and be more present for Leah, it's something he feels like he needs to do. Leah has a secret, though. She's been in love with Axel for years, and as Axel pushes her to get out and live again, she finds it more and more difficult to hide her feelings for him. The rest of the book is about Leah finding herself again and the developments of the relationship between Axel and Leah. I think my biggest problem with this setup was the age difference between the two characters. Axel was 10 years older than Leah. He was also a bit of a party boy, a womanizer, and the relationship that developed between him and Leah felt kind of creepy. I get that technically Leah was at a consenting age, but it still felt weird that he was having sex with someone he had thought of as a little sister for so long. I also felt that Axel was really demanding of Leah as far as forcing her to go out and do things. I felt like his approach could have been less forceful and more sympathetic. At times, it came across as almost mean, which made it difficult to believe that Leah would have fallen for him the way she did. I get that she had a crush on him for years, but I feel like that would have grated on my nerves and made me want to be with him less. 
I was also bothered by the way Axel would always call Leah by her name in almost every sentence that he spoke to her. Are you hungry, Leah? Do you know what I'm saying, Leah? A lot of the scenes were with just the two of them, and I felt like she would have known who he was speaking to without calling her by name. She had PTSD, not amnesia. I wonder, though, if that way of speaking is common in the author's native country, which may have influenced this. While sympathetic to our main character, none of the other characters really grabbed me, and as you can probably tell, I didn't get Leah's attraction to Axel. In the end, this book didn't really grab me. I know that this is the first in a series, and while this one ended on a bit of a cliffhanger, I don't know that I'm invested enough to continue with the series. I gave this three stars on Goodreads simply because the story was decent, but this was rounded up from two and a half stars on Storygraph and my blog. Next, I'll share my thoughts on Ashley Audrain's The Whispers. This book was first published by Pamela Dorman Books on June 6, 2023, and was one of my Book of the Month box selections for June. The synopsis reads, The Loverleys sit by the hospital bed of their young son who is in a coma after falling from his bedroom window in the middle of the night. His mother, Whitney, will not speak to anyone. Back home, their friends and neighbors are left in shock, each confronting their own role in the events that led up to what happened that terrible night. The warm, altruistic Parks, who are the Loverleys' best friends, the young, ambitious goldsmiths who are struggling to start a family of their own, and the quiet, elderly Portuguese couple who care for their adult son with a developmental disability, and who pass the long days on the front porch, watching their neighbors go about their busy lives. The story spins out over the course of one week, in the alternating voices of the women in each family as they are forced to face the secrets within the walls of their own homes, and the uncomfortable truths that connect them all to one another. Set against the heart-wrenching drama of what will happen to Xavier, who hangs between death and life, or a life changed forever. The Whispers is a novel about what happens when we put our needs ahead of our children's, exploring the quiet sacrifices of motherhood, the intuitions that we silence, the complexities of our closest friendships, and the danger of envy. This is a novel about the reverberations of life's most difficult decisions. Is it just me, or are the hijinks of messy rich women, especially messy rich white women, endlessly entertaining? I love me some Real Housewives, and honestly, Atlanta and Potomac are probably my two fave franchises because they're so damn petty, and it's hilarious. But it's the white women in Beverly Hills, New Jersey, and Salt Lake City that have me watching with one eye open and keep me muttering, girl, don't do that, the entire episode. Maybe that's why I love these juicy books about rich white people making a mess and then stepping in their own shit. I read Dirty Laundry a few months ago and loved it, and the same goes for The Whispers. Before I started this book, I had seen on social media that several people were disappointed because they said it wasn't as good as her first book, The Push. Having not read The Push, I went into this completely blind to her writing style. I was not disappointed. So, if The Push is even better, I'm really excited to check it out. This book begins with a party in an upper-class white neighborhood in early September, Whitney, a mother of three, a set of twins, and then a precocious 10-year-old named Xavier, completely loses her shit on Xavier during the party. Soon as she is finished screaming at him, she realizes his bedroom window was open and everyone at the party heard the awful things she had screamed at him. A few months later, Whitney is in the emergency room with her son. Her husband was out of town and Whitney was home alone with the kids. Xavier fell out of his window and is now lying in a coma on the verge of death. 
Whitney won't speak to anyone regarding what happened, which leads the neighbors to wonder if Whitney had something to do with it. The book alternates between the points of view of Whitney, Blair, Rebecca, and Alma. As well as being a mom of three and the loving wife of an art dealer, Whitney is a workaholic who connects more with her job and her friend and neighbor Blair than she does with her own kids. She also enjoys the delights of men who are not her husband. Blair, on the other hand, is a natural homemaker. Her daughter is everything to her, and she is certain her husband is having an affair, and she's afraid it might just be with her BFF Whitney. Rebecca is a pediatric ER doctor who has been trying to get pregnant, but she and her husband have suffered several heartbreaking miscarriages. Her husband made the decision that they need to stop trying, but Rebecca is hiding something from him that could make or break them. Lastly, Alma is an older Portuguese woman in her 80s who has lived in the neighborhood for years. She refused to sell out and she's watched the bigger homes go up around her and keeps an eye on her neighbors and their antics. I loved the character dynamics in this book. In the beginning, it took me a while to figure out who was who and who was married to who, but once I settled in, I enjoyed every juicy tidbit. Whitney is downright dirty, and I loved to hate her. Blair was also hiding some really dirty secrets of her own, and I loved the juxtaposition of what she showed to everyone on the outside versus the crazy, irrational thoughts on the inside and the dirty things they led her to do. Hello, Black Negligee. Rebecca and Alma were definitely more sympathetic characters and both ones I rooted for and felt sorry for. I know a lot of people have complained about the ending of this book, but I thought it was perfect. I don't think I would have wanted it to end any other way. This is one I can't say too much more about because it's certainly one to experience. I will say that if you hate questionable and morally corrupt characters, you probably want to skip this one. But if you want a juicy book about rich people doing dirty things, I would definitely recommend this one. I gave it four and a quarter stars on Storygraph on my blog and four on Goodreads. It's break time. Be right back. Okay, now I will share my thoughts on the young adult horror novel, Your Lonely Nights Are Over by Adam Sass. I received an advanced reader's copy of this book, courtesy of the publisher through NetGalley, in exchange for an honest review. This book will be published on September 12th, 2023 by Viking Books for Young Readers. The synopsis reads, Scream meets Clueless in this young adult horror from Adam Sass in which two gay teen BFFs find their friendship tested when a serial killer starts targeting their school's queer club. Deary and Cole are inseparable, unlikable, and, in bad luck for them, totally unbelievable. From the day they met, Deary and Cole have been two against the world. But whenever something bad happens at Stone Grove High School, they get blamed. Why? They're beautiful, flirtatious, dangerously clever queen bees, and they're always ready to call out their fellow students. But they've never faced a bigger threat than surviving senior year, when Mr. Sandman, a famous never-caught serial killer, emerges from a long retirement, and his hunting ground is their school queer club. As evidence and bodies begin piling up and suspicion points at Deary and Cole, they will need to do whatever it takes to unmask the real killer before they and the rest of queer club are taken down. But they're not getting away from the killer without a fight. Along the way, they must confront dark truths hidden beneath the surface of their small desert community. When the world is stacked against them and every flop they know is a suspect, can Deary and Cole stop Mr. Sandman's rampage? 
or will their lonely nights soon be over? I am 100% a child of the 80s, and I was raised on cheesy slasher movies. I loved them. Couldn't get enough when I was growing up. All I needed was a group of dumb teens and a sicko psycho stalking them, and I was happy. I didn't care how stupid the storyline was or how terrible the acting. I just needed a little tension, some good chase scenes, some inventive kill scenes, and my little teenage heart overfloweth. In the early 90s, there was a lull in the slasher genre, but then Scream came along and reignited it, and my slasher-loving heart was so happy. Needless to say, when I read the synopsis of this book, I knew I had to read it. I mean, hello, Clueless meets Scream? Immediately sold. I'm happy to say I was not disappointed. This is the type of book I wish I'd had when I was in high school. So the book alternates between the first-person points of view of Cole Cardoso and Frankie Deary, gay BFFs and seniors at a school in Arizona where nothing much ever happens. Both of them can't wait to graduate and move to California where they plan to break into film. Cole will write and direct, while Frankie, who goes by Deary, will star. They just need to survive their senior year of high school first, and their senior year turns out to be worse than most. Cole and Deary have always kind of gone against the grain, not conforming to a certain set of standards set forth by the school's queer club and their bitchy leader, Grover, who seems to have an especially strong hatred of Cole, mostly because Grover wants to date Deary and he's jealous of Cole and Deary's close friendship. But Grover is the least of their worries. When Grover and another girl are viciously attacked and one of them ends up dead, it doesn't take them long to realize that a serial killer from the 70s who was never caught might be killing again. Or maybe they have a copycat. To make matters worse, whoever it is stalking the teens in Queer Club is doing everything they can to pin the murders on Cole and Deary. The teens now have to not only clear their names, but also do their best to help their fellow students survive the Sandman. Deary's mom and the FBI are on the case, but Cole has a penchant for true crime, so he, Deary, and the rest of the queer club start their own investigation, which ends up putting them in even more danger. The book clips along at a nice, even pace and is a heck of a lot of fun to read. I adored Cole and Deary. I liked that they were comfortable with who they were and unapologetically sassy while still being kind and empathetic. They were less Regina George and more Cher Horowitz, which I loved. Being that I am basically a slasher movie pro, I had the identity of the killer pinned really early on, but that didn't ruin my enjoyment of the book at all. If you are a slasher fan, especially if you like Scream, I would highly recommend this one. I gave it four stars across the board. Be sure to check it out when it releases on September 12th. I'll close out with my thoughts on The Spectacular by Fiona Davis. This book was published by Dutton on June 13th, 2023, and was also one of my Book of the Month box editions in June. The synopsis reads, New York City, 1956. 19-year-old Marion is over the moon to have been selected to be one of the Rockettes, Radio City Music Hall's glamorous precision dancing troupe. It's an honor to perform in the world's most spectacular theater, an art deco masterpiece. But with four shows a day, as well as grueling rehearsals, not to mention exacting standards of perfection to live up to, Marion quickly realizes that the life of a rocket has both extraordinary highs and devastating lows. Then one night, a bomb explodes in the theater. It's only the latest in a string of explosions around the city orchestrated by a person the press has nicknamed the Big Apple Bomber. They have been terrorizing the citizens of New York for 16 years by planting bombs in popular crowded spaces. 
With the public in an uproar over the lack of any real leads after a years-long manhunt, the police, at Marion's urging, turn in desperation to a radical new technique, psychological profiling. As Marion finds herself pulled deeper into the investigation, she realizes that as much as she's been training herself to blend in, performing in perfect unison with all the other identical rockets, if she hopes to catch the bomber, she'll need to stand out and take a terrifying risk. But she may be forced to sacrifice everything she's worked for, as well as the people she loves the most. I'm not sure why, but I randomly added this book to my Book of the Month box for June. For the longest time, I avoided historical fiction because I thought it would bore me. I chalked this up to the most boring history teachers known to man when I was in high school. This year, I told myself that not only was I going to read more, but I was also going to step out of my comfort zone and try other genres. To accommodate this self-imposed rule, I told myself I had to read every Reese's Book Club pick this year, as well as one other book club pick per month even if the lists included cutesy romances and historical fiction and other works that I typically wouldn't pick up myself. So I read House of Eve, The Nightingale, and Did You Hear About Kitty Carr? Enjoyed all of them. Also picked up Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones and the Six. When June rolled around, I pushed myself further by willingly selecting a historical fiction novel all on my own and ended up really enjoying it. I've read nothing by Fiona Davis before. I think I can safely say that this won't be my last book by her. I'll likely check out some of her other works as well. I loved Marion, the main character in this book, and from what I understand, strong female leads are a staple in this author's work, which I love. At the top of the book, Marion is fired from her job as a dance instructor at a pretty prestigious New York dance academy because the head teacher doesn't feel that Marion is tough enough on her students. Marion goes against convention, and this rubs people the wrong way. The year is 1957, they still expected women to fit nicely in the do-as-you're-told mold. Dancing is all Marion has ever really loved, and this loss is devastating for her, but she learns of an audition for the Rockettes, which will take place the following day, and decides to go for it. Driven mainly by the fact that her father wants nothing more for her to settle down, get married, and have some kids. In fact, he's already planning her marriage with Marion's boyfriend, who just returned from Europe. But Marion isn't ready. Her mother gave up her dream of acting years ago to be a wife and a mother, and Marion isn't ready to do the same just yet. So she proceeds with auditioning, and spoiler alert, she makes the cut. She's a rockette now. But her father is not happy with her and tells her if she's going to defy him, then she will not do it while living under his roof. So she moves out, shacking up in a hostel of sorts for women who are up-and-coming dancers and actors. Mirroring this main storyline is a serial bomber who has plagued the city for decades. Several bombs have gone off around the city, and the police have no leads at all. It's not until the bomber strikes during the Rockettes' Christmas show and one of Marion's loved ones is killed that she steps up to help bring the guy down. She saw him sitting in the audience and has a vague idea of what he looks like. So she employs the help of a psychologist friend and together they work with the police to bring the guy down. I think what I liked most about the story was how strong Marion was. She was not about to let anyone, including her misogynistic father, tell her what to do. I also love that she had her own fire about her, and not only did she not conform to her father and other men's wishes, but she also stood out amongst the other women. It was mentioned a lot how she was constantly getting notes from the directors and choreographers about how she stood out from the other dancers, which is a big no-no for a rockette. I also loved how committed she was to bringing down the bomber and how she stood up to some of the police who had been on the case for years. 
certainly didn't like a woman pushing them. I also learned something new while reading the book. I had no idea that New York City really did have a serial bomber back in the day. And if you read the author's notes at the end of the book, she'll tell you all about it. A strong female lead and a great cast of characters, as well as a compelling story, kept me riveted. I finished this one in just a couple of days. If you are a lover of historical fiction, I would definitely recommend that you add this to your pile immediately. I gave it four stars across the board. That's all I have for you today. Don't forget to check out my other podcast titled Back Where We Belong. This is one that I do with a friend and we travel back to the 1980s and 90s and talk about pop culture and rewatch and discuss movies from then. A lot of fun. Also, follow me on Instagram and threads for up-to-date bookish news and bookish ramblings. My handle there is at JustReadItAlreadyPod. Be sure to join me next week when I review the YA horror anthology, Night of the Living Queers. I'll also review Emma Tor's Ink Blood Sister Scribe, Shannon Morgan's Her Little Flowers, and R.F. Kwong's Yellow Face. Hope you have the best week ever. We'll see you next week.